Now let us continue in First Samuel. Let us turn to First Samuel, please. Today we come to consider verses 17 to 23. Now we've been following this event thus far and we have seen how God wrought a great miracle to deliver his people from, well, if you look at chapter 13, from the Philistines. In verse 5, the Philistines gathered against the people of God. There were 30,000 chariots. Now, this is, again, to remind us some of the most advanced military equipment at that time. 6,000 horsemen, the most elite, most trained, experienced, fighting people on horses. Another um, uh, meaning, another implication is they are fast. You can't outrun the horses. And then there are people as the sand, which is on the shore in numbers, in multitude. This situation is what the children of Israel were facing. And then we saw God wrought a great deliverance. If you look, for example, now in verse 23, so the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed over unto Bethaven. The Lord saved Israel that day. Now the battle passed over unto Bethaven is to let us know now how far their victory went and even beyond that area. We saw how the Philistines, now they spread out north, east, south, uh, north, east, and west. We, we read those places, we read about those places. But now the children of Israel pursued them even further. Now what wrought this victory? What caused God to act in such a way for Israel? What was it? Now in the eyes of men, we would ask ourselves, now what would Israel need the most? Facing this great military power before them, what would Israel need the most? What would cause God to act so powerfully on his people's behalf? What is it? Now, King Saul had the same question in his mind. Now, please look at chapter 14. Look at chapter 14. Now, verse 17. Now, when King Saul saw and heard the multitude melting away in verse 16, now then said Saul unto the people that were with him, number now and see who is gone from us. And when they had numbered, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. You see, the reason why Saul immediately said, go check. Now, not go check what we have what equipment we had that caused the, un the armies of the Philistines to fear. No, he was specifically saying, now, go number the people and see who is gone from us. Now, who caused this great meltdown of such a powerful, well-trained, um, highly experienced, battle-hardened people to break down? What is it? Who caused that? Now, he wanted to know. From his heart, he will feel, we need, we need lots of equipment. We need lots of people. We need lots of trained soldiers. But you know, he didn't have that. 
Now, who is it that has caused this? Who is it that has caused this great victory that is happening? Now, today, the title is What the Church Needs Now. What does the church need today? For God to act on our behalf, to, great, to bring great usefulness, to great, bring great victory over the powers of darkness, to bring great success in His kingdom's work for His people, for His glory. What is it that the church needs today? Now, Saul began to realize it was two persons. These two persons. What is it in these two persons that caused the, the enemies to kill one another, to bring a, an earthquake created by God, to bring them to literally to disperse, to melt, like the snow coming down from the mountain when the sun shines on it? What is it in these two persons that caused that? Today, we have to ask ourselves the same thing. What is it in people? What is it in people that would cause God to act? You see, the acts of these two persons, Jonathan and the armor bearer, cause God to act and then cause a chain of reaction that destroyed the enemies. Now, what is it in these two men that brought God to do that? What is it? Well, we have been learning in the last few weeks about the faith of Jonathan. The faith of Jonathan. We've studied many things about what is, what is faith? What constitutes faith? How does faith behave, respond? How does faith look at things? Now, today we want to specifically say, see now what aspects of Jonathan's faith that will cause God to act in this way. And then ask ourselves, Lord, do we have such people among us? Am I such a one? Now, Hebrews eleven six 6 tells us very clearly, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. It is not possible to please the living God, to cause him to work for his people, to work on behalf of his people. Even when it is for his purpose, for his glory, it is faith that pleases him to use, to use the individual, to use Israel, to use the kingdom of God, to use the church today. Hebrews eleven six. but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, the faith of Jonathan was rewarded. And as a result, Israel experienced immense victory. And as you read Hebrews 11, this so-called hall of faith of the people of God, you will consistently, consistently see again and again the people's faith, their action by faith was what caused God to fulfill His purposes, use them, brought um, great victory. It was the people acting in faith and then God rewarded their faith. Now, I hope that if you're not a believer and you say, how, how can I have this God, this 
Almighty God to be my God. Well, God says very clearly, he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Right? Do you believe what God says about himself? Do you believe what God says about how to be saved? That is not by works, not by your own efforts. Faith is putting your trust in Christ who died for, your, died for you, paid for your sins. Will you embrace him as your saviour? Will you receive this gift of salvation? That is faith. Salvation is by faith. And the life after that is also by faith. From faith to faith. Why would you not turn to the living God? The great victory that God wrought for the children of Israel cannot be resisted by men. Right? This is the great God that will judge the world one day. Turn to Him for salvation. But for the believers, what must we learn? Now, it is very obvious. I think by now, I hope it really dawns on us. Just like Saul wanted to know who is missing among us. Who are the ones that caused God to work so mightily? Now, a few aspects of this faith of Jonathan. Now, the first one, the first one, is Jonathan was courageous in faith. Jonathan was courageous in faith. Not just, well, I have faith and say I have faith, but we see his courageous acts. That is what the church of God needs more. Now, see, it has become very clear to, to, um, to, to Saul, and I hope it is clear to us. Israel was not needing more nor, um, military equipment. Israel was not needing better um, trained soldiers. Israel was not needing more soldiers than the, the Philistines. When he heard only two men are missing out of the 600, only two are missing, and only two are required to bring about this act of God. Now, even King Saul will begin to realize now, and hope we realize, what Israel needed was not more of all these things. Just like today, the church is not needing um, more talented people. The church is not needing more money. The church is not needing just merely more people. The church is not needing more creativity. The church is not needing um, more um, clever programs. Not that God cannot and will not use these things, but God will use this passage to show us very, very clearly, to compare the immense power of the Philistines and the, what they had versus just two persons who acted in courageous faith. That is all that is needed. Now, I want to say again, I'm not saying that there is no use in these things, but God wants us to realize clearly He can use these things if He wants to, but if He chooses not to, as the faith of Jonathan is clear in chapter 14. Now, in verse 6, we learned, for there is no restraint with the Lord to save by many of by few. You see, Jonathan's faith was not just a faith of knowledge in his head. Jonathan knew very clearly it's not by how many and how what we have. It's by God alone. A courageous faith that causes him to act. Now when there are people, when you and I have such courageous faith, not just by words of mouth, giving um, um, lip service to faith, but will not act, when the test comes, 
well, the church will not be very powerful. The work of God will not progress as it ought to. Just look at the soldiers. Remember early on, in their very first battle, in their very first battle, there were 330,000 men, all right? In chapter 11, verse 8, 300,000 and men of Judah, 30,000. That number of people, hundreds of thousands, well, whittled down. They all ran away and there were only 600 left with Saul. And Saul himself went as far away from the battle scene as possible and hid himself. Now, did these people not go to God, offer sacrifices, offer praise, and say, wow, it's God that gave us victory? Were not these people, the hundreds and thousands of people, and Saul himself, were they not the one that said, wow, it is God, it is God, and gave thanks and sacrifice to him? Well, what happened to that faith? Christian, faith is not just giving thanks to God when things go well. Faith Courageous faith is needed when the test comes. That is what makes the difference. Hundreds of thousands of men, most of them fled into hiding. The Bible tells us they were just going, they scattered, all right? They scattered like, like mice, running to all sorts of holes that they can find to hide themselves. What happened to the faith? What happened to all the praise? What happened to all the, God is the one, God is the one who delivered us. What happened to all that? Now, do we really have faith? Is our faith courageous? Or is our faith one that is a fearful faith? Now, Saul and many of these people, they were fair-weathered faith people. When things were well, oh yes, they said they, it was God and they have faith in God. But it took two men who truly believed and then they acted courageously. Now, what are some applications we can learn in this aspect? Now, God will bring tests into our lives. God will see whether the church, God will see whether the individuals in the church who sing about faith, who talk about faith, truly will act courageously when the time comes. Will we fail God? Are we people that will run away from the battle? Now, of course, these are spiritual battles today. Battle against forces that would attack the truths of God, against the Bible, against the teachings, against even who God is. Even Christians today deny many attributes of God. We studied this morning. Now, when we face also the real test in our personal lives, how would you choose? Dear hearer, I ask you this. What kind of faith do we have? The church today needs courageous faith. When you have to make a decision, a choice, how would you choose? You see, Jonathan chose to act courageously. The moment he knew this was God's will, he confirmed it. He went into battle with all he had. He put his life on the line to obey God, to do God's work, to God, do God's kingdom's work. How would you choose when you are pushed into a corner? Well, today, I think 
sadly, most of us. Um, when we have to choose between obeying God, doing what is right for ourselves, for our family, but if that will cost us, cost us pain, tribulation, losses, well, many of us shrink back. Isn't it true? Likewise for the church, if we have, which we do not delight in, to stand for the faith, to expose errors that will lead men and women to hell, to preserve the truth, will the church shrink back when it means that, well, we may be ostracized, we may be misunderstood, we may lose friends? What about you? If to make certain choices, your family will be upset. How would you choose? How would you choose when to obey God, you may lose your job? Or to serve God, you may lose your, well, sleep. And they say, oh, if I lose my sleep, I'm going to lose my health. I'm going to lose so many things. Fear, fear, fear. Instead of a courageous faith. Why would God want to use us if you are people like that? Now, many fled when the test came. When the test came, they fled. But John Saul asked, who? Yeah, it was these two persons. What kind of faith did they have? Now, let me ask you a question. Recently, I asked someone. I said, now, what if, what if your job one day begins to hinder you prevent you from living your Christian faith and from causing you to not be able to fulfill your duties to God, to your family, to your service in church. What if one day your job will cause, would be a hindrance to that? What would you do? Well, what would you do? Ask yourself today honestly in our hearts because that will be a key test of faith when it comes. Now, I'm not asking everyone to just go out and resign and resign and resign, but when God brings that true test of your faith, would it be a courageous faith? Well, thankfully, this person said, well, when it begins to affect the vows that I make to my family, to the church, then I will have to change job. I will have to change job. But what happens when you change job? It will be a risk to your family, isn't it? It will be a risk to whether your children will have a place to live, whether your children will still have money to go to school. There will be many risks. You see, when, when, Josh, when Jonathan stood there, he was not standing in the higher plane and he could count how many soldiers there were. We know from reading there were 20, around about 20. But he was at the bottom of the cliff looking up he did not know when he climbed with his hands and feet and he reached the top, whether there's going to be a few hundred. He doesn't know. But all he knew was this. I, having known is God's will, I must act. I must be courageous. I must go. I must do what is right. So Christian, let us not be like Saul, a fair weather kind of faith what the church needs today, I say again, is not more people with 
money, with position in society, um, with um, great education. Not that those things are, are evil in themselves, but sometimes as individuals, as a church, we think like that. Now, if I make more money, if I'm uh, more in a better position in society and all that, well, I can influence this, I can influence that, I can give more. Banish that thought. It is men of courage that matters. Joshua's choice to just go headlong into the battle for God's kingdom, God's name. Now, it stirred, as we read just now, it stirred many to come out of their hiding holes. It caused many to join in the fray. You, you see what God's church need more. God's church, God's church does not need more people who say, well, you know, let me serve less in church. Let me disobey God in a little here and there. Let me put my career first. And then, you know, we have famous people in our church. We have people of position and power in our church. But, those, but these ones continue to disobey God, put their life and career before God's kingdom, God's work, God's service. They are not useful to God. They will, in fact, cause many other Christians to go in the opposite direction of what Joshua's faith, courageous faith, caused them to do. They will just be, oh, this is what we need to be. Now, let us see um, the second thing about Joshua's faith. Well, first, let's look at Saul's behavior. Saul's behavior. Now, look at verse um, 18, all right? Now, and Saul said unto Ahia, bring hither the ark of God, for the ark of God was at the time with the children of Israel. Verse 19 is the key. And it came to pass, while Saul talked unto the priest, that the noise that was in the host of the Philistines went on and increased. And Saul said unto the priest, withdraw thine hand. Now, what was this about? Now, when Saul saw the, the looked there and said, they're literally having a meltdown, right? The people melted away. He told the priest, hurry, go get the ark. Let's pray to God. Let's ask God for his direction. Let's ask God for help. Ahia, quickly, go get the ark. But when, look at verse 19, when the Bible describes, gives us a description of what Saul was going through, the noise that was in the host of the Philistines now went on and increased. When Saul began to see, hang on, I, I think, I suspect, right, that they are really in great trouble now. When he began eh, to hear, see and hear that things don't look good in the enemy's camp. Now, what did Saul do? What did Saul do? He told the priest, stop praying. Ignore prayer. Stop praying. Now, Saul seemingly was a man of prayer, wasn't it? Right? Earlier on, well, he would offer sacrifices because he said, wow, I need to ask God for help. And here he said, bring the ark, bring the ark. Let's pray to God. But the moment Saul saw and heard, he lived by sight and, and hearing that things seem to be to our benefit, then he casted away God. God is not important anymore. What did Saul really trust in? Was it prayer? 
Was it prayer? Was, or was Saul actually trusting in his own arms of flesh? Now I am at an advantage. Things, looks like they will go, things look like they will go well for me. Withdraw your hand. All right? Whether this priest was bringing the ark forward or whether he was lifting up holy hands, he just said, forget it. Withdraw your hand. Put it down. Put it by your side. Now this withdraw literally just put it behind you. That is what it is. Now remember, remember we studied at church camp at our church camp. When the, Amal when the children of Israel fought their first battle against the Amalekites, when God brought them out of Egypt, what happened? Moses lifted up holy hands to pray. And every time his hands dropped, they lost the battle. Every time his hand went up, they win the battle. And it went on and on. This was a very visual way to tell them, do not withdraw the hand of prayer. Even when the battle is going on, God showed it very clearly, visibly to the soldiers. It is very dependent on prayer, ongoing prayer. That was what mattered. was not how many soldiers they had. was not even whether they are winning the battle at that time. They were winning, but every time the prayer stopped, they lost. Saul was thinking, I, we, we look, looks like we are winning, you know. Let's go. Forget about prayer. Withdraw the hands. Are your prayers real? Do you believe truly in prayer? Where is your faith? Is your faith truly in prayer and God answering prayer? Or is it just lip service? You see, Saul, when, when he saw the huge army, let's pray, let's pray, let's pray. The moment he saw, well, some semblance of victory, forget about prayer. Isn't that us? You see, Jonathan truly, by his words and by his actions, truly believed and totally depended on God. You may, we may not have read that, that Jonathan prayed to God. We did not read that. But Jonathan, by his words and his actions, and his, his desire that God would show him his will, now, tells us he was a man that truly believed it all depended on God. Prayer is our test of whether we are truly dependent on God. Now, are you one who pray? And prayer is really you clutching at straws. You know what that means? All right, things you are in under great trouble. In great trouble, you don't know what to do. You're overwhelmed. And you jump on prayer as one of the things, just like clutching at straws. Not really believing that prayer is what matters. Like Saul. And when things in life are well, you literally say, don't need to pray today. Withdraw the hands. This is how we are. God rewards the prayer of faith meaning the people who truly believe in the power of prayer, truly depend on God alone, even when working. There was, no, there was nothing from Saul that said, all right, I hear, you continue praying while we go. Instead, he said, withdraw thy hand, forget it. Forget about the ark. Forget about inquiring with God. Forget about asking God anything. 
Now, it displeases God when we are like that. God will not use us. Now, let us be clear about one thing. And we see this over and over again in scriptures. And here is the most evident case. God's power. The church wants God's power, right? You want God's power, right? But does the church need more of? Things, people, equipment, possessions, resources. Here, God showed very clearly, God's power does not flow through equipment. God's power does not flow through plans. God's power does not come and use um, things that we have. God made it very clear here. You do not have knives, uh, you do not have sword, um, and, um, and things like that, right? We, we studied all, earlier on. The Philistines, they took away all this, all this military equipment, anything that can be used to fight against them. They took it all away to the point where when they wanted to sharpen their farm equipment, in chapter 13, we saw they all must go down to the Philistines and say, now let us sharpen, let us use your equipment to sharpen our farming tools. They only had fowls, that's all. God wanted to show the kind of, uh, God wanted to show the way his power flows, not through what we have. I'll say again, not that these things are not things that God may use. But here in other parts of scriptures, you will see God using those things. But here God wants to teach the very clear lesson. I will use things. Yes, I want to. If, if I want to, I can. But I'm the omnipotent God. My power flows through courageous men. My power flows through men who believe and turn to me in prayer, who believes that I am the one who works, not these things. That is where the power of God flows through. Now, do, are we truly people of prayer? Husbands, fathers, you say, Lord, I want to be someone that can make a great difference in my family in my wife's life, in my children's life. Lord, use me. What our home needs now is what? Children that are smarter, that attend more um, um, enrichment classes and have more skills and this and that for you to work more and have more money. What does your family need most? Your courage in faith. When the test comes, what would you choose? Do you trust in your job? I'm not saying jobs are evil. I'm not asking you to go out and resign. But when the test comes, and that is the thing that stands between you and what you need to do. I'm not saying that enrichment programs are useless. But when you begin to think that is what we need more in the family, you miss the point. God shows very clearly here no amount of enrichment training to make elite soldiers was of any consequence at all. At all. Now, fathers, husbands, are you men of prayer? God's power flows through prayer. Men of prayer. Likewise for mothers, of course. Likewise for singles, individuals. All alike. Likewise for seniors. What is your prayer life like? God needs more prayer warriors. Not more 
programs, clever, creative outreaches. They have their place, but that is not where the power lies. Would we truly remember our theme for life? Our theme this year is about prayer. Would that be true in your life? You see, Saul was a classic example. He would pray. He would want to pray. But he did not really trust in prayer. That is where the power is, dear hearers. Now, not even um, um, the priest was asked um, to continue to pray, but God's, God rewarded Jonathan's act of faith, right? The total trust in God. Now, I do want to say that we must act in prayer, all right? We're not saying then just pray and do nothing. Just pray and do nothing. Jonathan acted courageously. Jonathan acted by faith, a total trust in God. We must act. We must do something. But let us put our trust not in those acts, not in what we garner, not what we build up, but let us put our trust totally in prayer and in God. What happened to the 300 over 1,000 men? What happened to them? They went into hiding. Did they really believe in the prayers that they offered to God when they won their first victory? No. Now then, we learn another thing about um, the aspects of what Jonathan had that was so needful for Israel. Now, the last part. He was, uh, Jonathan was loyal to the faith. Jonathan was loyal to the faith. He was courageous in faith, all right? And he truly had faith in God. But now here we see he was a man that was loyal to the faith. That is what the church needs today as well. Now look at chapter 14, verse 6. Look at chapter 14, verse 6. And Jonathan said to the young men that bear his armor, Come, and let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Now, this is the first time this word uncircumcised was used in the book of Samuel, the first mention of it. Now, we know that the circumcision was a sign, a covenant between um, the, the Jews and Jehovah. That was a sign that be, they were God's people. And therefore, they were here to fulfill God's purposes. Remember, we studied covenant. Covenant has three parts. One is between parties, all right? Circumcision was the act of covenant with Jehovah as parties. Now, we are your people. We belong to you. The second part about covenants is that, well, there are prerequisites to meet. The prerequisites to meet. This is how you must live. This is what you don't do. This is what you're supposed to do. Just like you enter into marriage covenant, you enter into covenant with a, with a company, there are prerequisites. Prerequisites for blessings. Prerequisites that are not met will lead to penalties, chastisements. That is a covenant. And there's always the part that we must remember. There is a purpose. Why do you enter into covenant in marriage? A purpose, which we've been studying on Friday, the purpose of marriage. It's a purpose. You join a company, you enter into covenant with them, you sign a contract. You're there to fulfill a purpose. 
not just to make money for yourself, as far as the company is concerned, at least. So there is a covenant. This is the covenantal sign that they were God's people. They were supposed to live as God wants them to live, and they were to fulfill God's purpose. So when Jonathan bring up this word, this uncircumcised, his description of these people, now it was not just he was trying to be derogatory towards them, but he was trying to let his armor bearer know, we are God's people. We are people that belong to the almighty God of Israel. We are the people that have the living and true God. Theirs are just idols that have no power. We are God's people, armor bearer. And he would risk his life to save Israel. Why? Because Israel's existence was at that time to become a nation, be a nation, and continue to be a nation because the Messiah the Jews understood the Messiah was to come through Israel. And that is the purpose of God for bringing them up and giving them this land, the promised land, so that the promised Savior will come. The promised land is not just God promising them a land full of milk and honey, flowing with milk and honey, and you have a wonderful life. The promised land was because the promised seed, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the promised Savior will come through this land. So when, when Jonathan used the word uncircumcised people, he is trying to tell the, the armor bearer, we are here to do the purposes of the living God, the almighty living God, the infinite God. We are here to do his purposes. This land must fulfill God's purpose. We should not fear. And even if it means I lose my life, for this purpose, for this faith of Israel, I would do it. Now, that was Jonathan's zeal, fire, his heart for the faith of Jehovah, the faith, the true religion. Now, do we have such faith? Let me ask you. Is our faith one that is loyal to the faith? Right? The irony is many say we believe in the Christian faith, but they're enemies of the Christian faith. They claim that Jesus is not God. They claim that the Bible has errors. They claim all sorts of things, that Jesus did not perform miracles. Right? All these are false, just stories. Now, when you hear these things, even if they're from Christians, what fills your heart? a burning, righteous zeal to say we have to correct this. This is not the living God that they're talking about. We must correct this and we must expose this error. We must cause people to know who, who Jesus Christ really is. Or are you someone say, ah, let's not fight over these things. You see, Jonathan's zeal for the truth was so strong. The Philistines say the uncircumcised, he is talking about now. These people are not people who work for the living God, for his kingdom. They are people that go against and fight against the kingdom of God. They are the people who want to take away their land. Their land was not meant for them. The land was meant for Israel to fulfill the prophecy that the Messiah will come through it. 
Now, today we fight a spiritual battle. We're not here to fight for land of, of Mount Pleasant. It's a spiritual battle that we face. What is your faith? Is it loyal to the truth? Now, let us see verse 21. Moreover, moreover, the Hebrews that were with the Philistines before that time, which went up with them into the camp from the country round about, even they also turned to be with the Israelites that were with Saul and Jonathan. Now, does this fill you with shock? Jonathan's loyalty to faith was, he said, these are the uncircumcised. But the Bible tells us that they were, there were Hebrews, verse 21, that were with the Philistines. Look at verse 21. Not only that, not even before this time of battle, they already capitulated. They were part of the enemy's camp. Look at verse 21. Which went up with them into the camp from the country round about. There were many before this time that actually went over to the Philistines' camp. And when Philistines went out to battle, the Bible tells us that these Hebrews, they went up with the Philistines in battle to fight Israel. Here, Jonathan's faith was one that is so loyal to the faith of Jehovah. And here, these are the ones that are the compromisers. They will go over to be with the enemy in their camp. Now, what does the church of God need more today, my friends? Not more betrayers of Christ. With our lips, we say we are Christians. But with our deeds, our actions, our beliefs, what we support, we actually support what the enemies propound. Today, when you take a stand, you are ostracized. And these were people that joined the camp. Now, why? Ask yourself, why? Ask ourselves, will I be so loyal to God's truth? What will make me capitulate as well? Well, I think some of the things we can easily surmise. They joined them as mercenaries to fight with them. Many of these, the description here are description of mercenaries. They joined that camp and went out to fight with them. Now, Christian, let me ask you this. Will your faith be so loyal to the faith, the true faith, or will you be someone? Now, for the sake of gain, whether it's gain of friendships, whether it's gain of um, position, whether it's gain of money, for the sake of that, you will compromise and be with that camp. What will your faith be? Well, some will go over because of numbers, right? They're far greater an army than Israel. What will you do? Join Big churches, mega churches, because you think numbers are what, what is important. I want to be part of numbers. I want to be part of people with great equipment. All right? Not this crummy, old-looking church with a small number of people. I want to be part of mega churches. There is nothing wrong with numbers when God brings numbers. But when we choose to have numbers, when we choose to please men, when we choose to be part of churches, to be part of movements, because we want to be part of numbers, and even if they deny many of the truths, now then we are missing people that God needs. The church needs today what the church needs 
today is not more worshippers. There's nothing wrong with more worshippers. Don't get me wrong. We pray that God will bring more of his people. What the church needs now is more people, more worshippers who are loyal in their faith, to the faith. We read that many of them, now, for their daily lives, it's troublesome. They have to keep going down to the Philippines, uh, Philippines, to the Philistines, to keep going down to the Philistines to say, can we sharpen, can we sharpen this, can we sharpen that? Maybe have your permission. Well, some of them will say, oh, I had enough of this. Enough of this. It's more convenient to just live among them. Convenience. Well, are you someone, for convenience, you do not mind compromising. Well, this church is too far from me when I go back to my homeland. All right? Whatever church is nearby, I'll just attend that church. It doesn't matter whether they deny this and that doctrines. It does not matter, but it's convenient for me. Well, traveling is hot, it's uncomfortable. I don't want to get COVID on the bus ride, on the train ride. Uh, this is convenient for me. Jonathan never joined these mercenaries. Whether it was whether there's money offer whether it's bigger number, better equipment, whether it's more convenient. Now, many of us, I think we can live easier lives, right? If we just simply compromise. Now, what about safety? What about safety? For the sake of safety, for the sake of, well, not offending people, my family members, my relatives. So, well, when I travel... Um, well, if, if they attend churches that are, that are part of the ecumenical movement, part of new evangelicalism, new Calvinism, whatever it is that, that, that you can name, I'll just go with them. I'll just go with them there, all right? It's, it's troublesome. It's, well, and also, you know, my family may get angry at me and they may throw me out of the home. Well, for my own good, for my own sake, I will compromise. What is it in your life? Why would God... Let me ask you, why would God want to use a church mightily who does not care, would not risk their own lives for the truth? Why would God want to use such a church? Why would God want to use such a people? We do not need, like I said many times from this passage, God showed us very clearly, it's not more people, it's not more worshippers. It's not more worshippers than more money. What would God use? What, where does God's power flow through? People whose faith are loyal to His truth. What kind of a church do we want to be? Now, not only that, you look at verse 22. Likewise, all the men of Israel which hid themselves in Mount Ephraim, when they heard the Philistines fled, even they also fall hard after them. Now, there were those who went into hiding, simply out of fear. That is all. Went into hiding. Don't want to be part of any of these things. Are you such a Christian? I do not want to be part of contending for the truth. I just want to live in peace, away from all these all this, uh, controversies. Yeah, I know the truth, but I don't want to be involved. I don't want to have arguments with my friends, my families. They are not arguments. They are you helping them to know the truth. 
But I don't want to be involved in all these things. Right? Not necessary. Now, Jonathan can take that step as well. Well, it's just, it's just one garrison. What's the point? It's not going to make much difference. But that is not the point. You know, sometimes we are like that. Um, our faith is like that. Well, what's the difference? We're just a small church. Well, what's the point of, of trying to f- um, talk about all these things? You know, these are mega movements. There's nothing we can do. It is not about what you can do or you cannot do. The point is, what is the fire in your heart for the truth of God? See, to Jonathan, it does not matter if I died to fight for Jehovah's purpose, even just to remove one garrison. It was, he wasn't even thinking about, I don't think he even anticipated that after this, God will work such a mega powerful work among them for Israel. All he wanted was, these are uncircumcised people, meaning to say, these are people that are not for the truth of God. If I die just to remove one garrison, I will die for it. Now, Christian, is that your love for God's truth? Your love for God's truth is your love for Christ. When people attack the Bible and say that the Bible is imperfect, yes, Errors when God says it is perfect and you keep quiet. And you say, I don't want to get involved in all this. What difference if I tell one person and they, they understand it? It is not about what difference. It is about what is your burning zeal in your heart. Young ones, you go to school and your friends make fun of your dad. All right? Say false things about your dad. Are you going to say, ah, what's the point of you know, defending my dad to just one person. You don't even think how many people are involved. Your love for your dad, your family's name is so strong, you will speak. Like I always said, I have more, much more respect for dogs than us, than ourselves. Now, there was this big moose. This is a real-life scene that I saw. Um, a big moose. The owner walked out of his house in the snow. He didn't realize. He was just concentrating on the snow on the floor. But this big moose was nearby, and the big moose ran towards this owner, was going to ram him. He would have been severely injured. He had this tiny little toy dog. You know, a very little tiny dog. Right? In the scene, it looked more like a, a rat than a dog. It's a tiny little dog. The dog ran towards the moose and jumped up at the moose. That was the dog. The moose, the dog did not care what this was about. All he cared was, my master is at stake. That was the dog. Ask ourselves. It's not about, well, just one, just, ah, forget about all this thing. What is your love for your Savior and his truth? When we have men and women like that, not compromises, not uh, let's forget about all these things. God will, God's power will flow through. He said, this is a people, this is a church that is worth working through, right? Now, we come to our conclusion. What the church needs today are men and women who will live by faith in obedience 
join in the battle for the truth, not retreat and compromise for convenience, for friendships. What the church needs now is people like that. Saul understood who is missing, is the who that has made such a difference. Now, perhaps you have been a backslider. Perhaps you've been a Christian that did not really care much about these things. And now you begin to see, Lord, I need to be such a people, such a person, whether young or old, whether teenagers or elderly. I need to be such people, such a person. Then look at verse 22. Now, likewise, all the men of Israel with thee hid themselves in the Mount Ephraim. When they heard the Philistines fled, even they also followed hard after the battle. Well, at least now, turn back. These people, they learned their lesson. They were cowards. They were careless about God. But when they saw God working, they began to say, look, we got to join in the battle. We got to come out of our hiding hole. We got to come out of our carelessness, our coldness. Even those betrayers, the Bible says in verse 21, they also turn to be with the Israelites. They also turn. If you have been someone who didn't really care what church you go to, what the church teaches, what they say about Christ, and even you know it's wrong, you don't really care. All I care is my friends are there, my family is there. If you have been someone who does not have this courage to stand for God's truth, you do not have that love and that devotion to your Savior to defend His truth, then at least learn from these Hebrews. They saw and they turned back. Let's be, let's join the camp of these people. Dear Christian, I hope that you realize you are always on the winning side when you're with God in His camp. Shall we rise to sing the closing hymn? The closing hymn, 508. 508, shall we rise? 508.